They're simply the best. Or so we think. Let's get started. And they are going to win! Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix! Three cars going wheel to wheel as Perez is caught by Charles Leclerc and his three cars gone off! It's a DNF for MAX! The world championship record is equaled. Lewis Hamilton, seven-time champion of the world! Around... That was inevitably going to be included, I realised that. But um, but yes, as we go into the new year, we are looking back on the F1 2021 season. And while looking at the league tables, we see Verstappen at the top being the best driver, or controversially up there, many would say, and Mercedes being crowned the best team of 2021, we decided to pick our own very best drivers and teams. But for a bit of context, we cannot choose the same drivers or teams, i.e. one person must pick a different driver. But uh, who wants to go first? Should we go for Tristan first with your best driver, you think, of 2021? Absolutely. So I'm trying to pick one that I don't think others are going to have. I went with Carlos Sainz. Now... Carlos Sainz came fifth in the driver's standings. He beat Charles Leclerc, even though everyone thought he wouldn't. I do remember those rumblings of how Sainz was going to be playing second fiddle to Mr. Leclerc. Um, he had four podiums this year, at three third-place positions and one second-place position at Monaco. I had to go back and look at that again because I had so much gone on this season, I completely forgotten about that. I feel like Sainz, however has always been overshadowed by something else happening. Uh, for example, at Abu Dhabi picking up yet another podium position. Uh, it was overshadowed by some sort of drama on the track or, or whatever. Um, let's not forget he didn't have the luxury of being in a Mercedes or a Red Bull. He had to work with the Ferrari, which was, at the beginning of the season, a lot worse than the McLaren, which they were, they were targeting. Um, but... He managed to capitalise on the upgrades that Ferrari have brought throughout the year. And, you know, him and Lando were sort of tied on most of the uh, most of the like comparative numbers, for example, the number of podiums. But science got more points than Lando Norris did. Um, and so I think that that fifth position in driver standings makes him probably, I think, you know, not just best the rest, but best driver i think he's done such a good job this year just exceeded all other expectations and you know it pains me really because i love mclaren but i think science really and as a result sort of ferrari showed up mclaren a bit um with the amount of upgrades they brought this year so absolutely fantastic i think he wins that sort of for me the best driver because he didn't have the luxury of being in one of the super duper fast cars and beat other people maybe on the track that he didn't have any right to, to beat. Yeah, the thing is, I was originally going to go for signs as well, but saw that you got in uh, just performing our whole group chat selection. I think he has been, you know, one of, if not the best drivers, considering, as you say, the machinery he's had to deal with. And it's remarkable, really, that he's not been able to secure a race win yet but um so many podiums there always in the point aside from what two races and beating Leclerc as well you know the prodigal son of Ferrari a man who's been given a longer contract than Michael Schumacher himself previously he was always seen I think going into this as the second fiddle driver when it came to Ferrari but um 
I think he's done a sterling job and he's, as you say, never really been the flavour of the month. He was not wanted by Red Bull, not wanted really by Renault, who saw him in secondary. Happy for him to go to McLaren and um, here he is now at Ferrari doing a stellar job. And as I said previously, many episodes ago, I think if you ask Zach Brown off the record or microphones off, no notes being taken, if he would have Carlos Sainz back for next season or keep Daniel Ricciardo... I don't think there's a competition there, really, because science has been so consistent, done so well, and you don't see the classic, oh, but he's dealing with new machinery, he's dealing with a new car type argument, which unfortunately, with some of the new drivers going to new teams, you see uh, being sort of um, ladled around, which, you know, there is an element of that, but if a driver's doing very well in a new car and showing their quality, that excuse goes away, I think. So um, I think he's done really well and, you know, give it time. I, I think you could see him winning races next season with Ferrari, who I predict will be even stronger than this year. And um, that's, that would be so exciting to you see, know, the really. The thing about car science as well is, is his adaptability is immense. Uh, because it's the off-season, I'm now bored without being able to watch Formula 1. And so I'll be going back through old races because it's sometimes nice to go back through some of the the previous years and every single year i seem to go and see sites in a different car like from for example you know do, do you forget that in 2017 he drove for renault i did or before that he was toro rosso i've forgotten that and then he went to mclaren and now he's at ferrari the man is you know, jumping ships and it's crazy how quickly he just seems to work with them and 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 get up to speed mustn't have been easy going from mclaren to ferrari this year but you know he's he he consistently jumps between teams and sort of does well in them and so i think that adds to his his adaptability we haven't had that same thing go on this year which we had with for example someone like ricardo where we said well he's he's only just in the mclaren uh, He's just in the McLaren. He's got to get time to adapt. Or Perez, the same thing. Oh, well, he's got to get up to speed. It seems like science jumped in and immediately from the get-go has just made it work. And that's part of his driving traits. And I think that's fantastic. I'm going to disagree here. Uh, yeah. From my point of view, at least, in the 20 races in which they both finished this season, Science and Leclerc, Leclerc finished ahead in 14 of them. Okay. And Sainz's two best results were second in Monaco, and I'm going to focus on the third as well in Budapest. Now, those are two races. If we just cast our mind back to Monaco, Charles Leclerc put his Ferrari on pole in a car which, for a lot of the year, was the third or the fourth fastest car. He got back-to-back poles as well. So I would say, based on the fact that the raw speed was greater for Leclerc, and also, let's not forget, his car conked out before the start of the Monaco race. He would have won that, because you can't overtake him in Monaco. And Sainz would have still got on the podium, but Leclerc would have won that. Budapest, Sainz got on the podium again, but Leclerc was punted out at the start by a out-of-control Lance Stroll. That rhymes. Lance Stroll is natural habitat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, but without but without that collision, who knows what... I mean, um, that race was mad anyway, but Leclerc could have done something special in that race. So, science cannot be denied. It's had a very good first season with Ferrari, and if the Ferrari is a is a gun car next year, if it's, a, if, it, if it's rapid, then they're both championship contenders for sure. But uh, I, d- I, s- I would say that Leclerc has been very unlucky in different aspects of the season, hence why I'd still rate science's season amongst the top five or six on the grid for sure he's been a standout but so is Leclerc I mean he continues to impress he's just been desperately unlucky and so for me the best I mean 
it's easy to say that the world champion was the best of the season, Max Verstappen. And you might think, oh, you've chosen an easy one there, you know, world champion could have, I mean, duh, obviously he's going to be the best driver. But if you look look behind it, Verstappen, this kind of season for me has been brewing for a a couple of years maybe. We used to, we used to Verstappen being, we used to him being rapid. We know the raw speed he has is incredible. The fact that he's 24 and he's got seven years of Formula One under his belt shows how, how generational he arguably is. Um, but this season, he's really strung together consistency with his raw speed. He competed in 22 races this year. He finished on the podium in 18 of them. That's a record for podium finishes mm. in an F1 season. Not only that, he came first or second in all of those podium finishes. So in every single race, either his car was quick enough to win or when his car wasn't quick enough to win, he still got second place. He still was quicker than that second Mercedes or on days when Bottas was quicker, he was still quicker than Hamilton. Um, and it's easy to say with hindsight, oh, if this hadn't happened, then he would have done this. But in all the races when he has crashed out or retired, so Baku, Tyre, Silverstone, we know what happened there, Hungary, punted <laughs> off, Italy, another crash with Hamilton, all those races, maybe except Italy, he was on course to finish either first or second. So he has consistently hit the top of his game every single race. And he's married that that raw pace, which we know, knew he had in qualifying. I mean, he's got 10 pole positions. Is it 10 pole positions? Yeah, 10 looking at the list here. 10 pole positions out of 22. In the fastest car, yes. But almost half the pole positions, I'd say, is arguably, based on Hamilton's speed as well, is arguably a slight overachievement. Um, and to marry that with the consistency in the races. And yes, again, you'll know my thoughts on uh, the end of the the championship last from last week's episode and the whole the big slice of luck that Verstappen got and the favour he got from Mr Massey to uh to get let lead him to his, his goal. But even so, like he's on top of his game the whole year. What did I say? Ten poles, I think ten wins as well, eighteen podium finishes, consistency, race after race after race after race. Relentless is the way I, the word I'd use to describe him really. Um, and whilst that relentlessness is easier <clears throat> in a top top car, I would say the fact that even in the dominating the domination years of the Mercedes back in 2014 to 16, Hamilton and Rosberg never got 18 podiums in a season. Yes, you can think reliability, the odd piece of bad luck, but Verstappen has got more podiums than that dominant car ever did, and that for me is quite incredible. And his relentless speed, his relentless consistency for me he has to be driver of the year i mean the numbers speak for themselves and if you watch the races you'll see just his his level of performance race after race is quite incredible really so for me he deserves the best yeah angus i think that's pretty fair obviously as we explained to the the listeners at the start we um we made our selections and obviously you would jumped in immediately with that answer as i don't blame you um Mm -hmm. we can all agree obviously that you know champion of the world is worthy of that title but obviously here we are. And I actually think that I don't think that necessarily my choice is because I had to, because you picked the people that you did. I, I actually am quite happy with my choice here. And so basically, as people will probably be expecting, thinking of who you've spoken about so far and who hasn't been mentioned, I picked Sir Lewis Hamilton um, for, I uh, just thought I'd add that in, Sir Lewis Hamilton for my best driver title. Um, 
I think it's interesting um, because obviously you look at it, you know, he didn't get that title. He, he did have a few less um, wins and podiums as he has in previous years. However, I think that what made him so outstanding this year was the way he fought, the, the fact he was fighting against a real challenger like Verstappen and the way he bounced back, the way he drove. Some of the, dr- the drives we saw from Lewis this year, people were saying, you know, this will go down in history. You know, we saw him drive from last, for Christ's sake. <laughs> that he, mm-hmm. he has just proven, and having someone like Verstappen against him has just proven how incredible he is. And, um, you know, he only had he only had one DNF this year, um, <laughs> despite all of the tangles you seem you feel like he's had with with um, Verstappen this whole time. And you know, people might say, you know, well, you know, who's in the quickest car? Which obviously we know he says people say a lot. However, let's take a quick look at Bottas. You know, he's outqualified Bottas seventeen to five. Okay, he's outscored him by one hundred and sixty one point five points. This was an incredibly good year for Lewis when you compare him to his teammate. And I think. Um, he has proven determined, focused, and I think, and he himself has said this is one of his favourite seasons, you know, this has been the one that's driven him, the one that's excited him, and I think for the fans as well, it, it has been, because we've seen him at his most raw, his most emotional, um, most threatened this year, and for me, he's absolutely pulled it out of the bag, and we, we won't go into it again, but the circumstances of the final uh, race, obviously Max is world champion and more than deserving. And I, I won't go into again about all of that. But if you take into account the uh, conspiracy of the final round, Lewis at the end of the day, you know, was, you know, heading for that victory. If they if, if they had stayed on the safety car, he was in the lead of that race. But obviously things happen, whatever. Max was well deserving. But I'm just saying, you know, this was this wasn't a loss by Lewis this year. You know, this was a very, very hard fought battle and almost, you know, a draw (laughs) for me. So that's why I would choose um, Hamilton as my best driver. Yeah, two very worthy contenders, I'd say, as the league tables of Formula One show in terms of drivers. And I'm going to go for a slightly left field choice here. Uh, Yes, a lot of my allegiance is with Carlos Sainz, but there's someone else who I opted for, I think, had a really good season. And that man is the 40 year old, 40 year old. Fernando Alonso. And you may think to yourself, Tom, what are you talking about? He's 10th in the Drivers' Championship driving for an Alpine car, which was 5th out of 10 as well. So a pretty sort of teapot team, a teapot driver. Why is he the best in your eyes? Well, as I say, 40 years old. We've seen this season how age could not be kind to many drivers. Kimi Raikkonen, for example, had a great season, uh, partly due to his age, I think, and the car as well. Uh, And when you consider that at that age, you're still having to keep up with your Max Verstappen, your younger drivers like your Pierre Gasly's, your uh, Lando Norris's, everyone like that, to be able to score the amount of points that he did and get 10th place, 81 points, as well as uh, a podium and a fourth place, I think is really commendable. But add on to that the fact that the man's been out of the sport for three years as well. You know, driving for a very average team with Alpine as we've seen. And the fact that he went into this season not doing a lot of testing. You know, he had that injury when it came to the cycling accident. Had to go and have surgery, I believe, uh, uh, dental surgery um, because of that. And then, you know, as we said in this podcast, he's going into it very much on the back foot. But take away one or two bad performances and retirement as we saw in Bahrain. You had a fourth place at uh, Hungary where he valiantly defended Lewis Hamilton for many, many laps, uh, ensuring that Esteban Ocon was able to get his first ever career win. 
and we don't see that too often this season at all. As Liv said, you know, Lewis Hamilton on many many occasions has been driving out of his skin when it comes to uh, races like Brazil, for example. But when we saw Hungary, that race there, that was an example of where a skilled driver, experienced driver, coupled with someone who hadn't lost that uh, ability to drive, that special uh, element that saw him win so many drivers' championships prior, that's uh, the difference really between him and I think many of uh, many other drivers on the grid you know he showed he still got that quality that pizzazz that factor that um, could drag the Alpine car kicking and screaming almost on many different occasions upwards uh, in terms of the grid and also in terms of the constructors as well and because of that and because of the the third place we saw at Qatar and the context as I say and all those elements going against him I've got to say that uh, Fernando Alonso is very much deserving I think of being one of the best drivers, if not the best this season, because, let's put it this way, not many people were expecting him to do as well as he did and to um, help nurture Ocon in the fashion that he did, enable him to get a victory and also to um, score quite highly himself in a car that is well below, let's say, your McLarens, your Ferraris and definitely your Red Bulls and Mercedes as well. I think what's interesting about this uh, best driver lineup that we've we've established here is there's so many there's so many variations in, in driving style and, and reasoning why they're so good. We have, you know, Verstappen and Hamilton, which throughout the season have just been in a in a league of their own. Both of them often 20, 30 seconds ahead of of even their number two drivers in supposedly equivalent cars and, and matching each other as well. I, you know, I can't really split Verstappen and, and Hamilton apart except from in the fact that points really, you know, and, and Verstappen ended up getting that world championship. And, but that's not to say that Hamilton, you know, I, when you say live, it's, it's a draw. It kind of really is a draw. If you nullify the mm. last race and ignore it, then they went in their level pegging. And that, that's incredible. I think they really are, you know, two of the best drivers. And then looking at people like Sainz, people like Alonso, the unexpected brilliance from, from their drivers. And yes, as Angus says, you know, Sainz might have been a bit more lucky than Leclerc. But, you know, to be honest, I think you make your own luck a bit. And I, mm. I just think that those two drivers, especially, and you're right, Alonso is really come out of nowhere, I suppose, this, this season. Um, we have had the privilege to watch some epic battles across both both the, the, the front the front two and Hamilton and Verstappen, but also into the midfield as well. Just watching other uh, other drivers fight um, and have some brilliant sort of uh, moments throughout the season. For example, Alonso fighting <laughs> Lewis Hamilton um, in, in Monza was amazing. And so, uh, you know, there isn't necessarily a best driver, which is why this this format is so good, because we have this list of four, but those are real highlighting drivers. And I think we have been incredibly lucky this year um, in what we've seen, just in terms of raw talent. I think, it's a fair, going back to the the science point, I'd say that, yeah, you're right, it definitely has a fair argument to be up there. I'd say with Alonso, there's definitely a fair shout. The only thing I'd say against Alonso would be maybe that he did start the year quite slowly. I mean, you can kind of excuse that because, you know, 39, 40-year-old man who'd been out of F1 for two years um, in a new team in the mid- when, it's, when you're in the midfield as well, I can imagine it's definitely more difficult because the car will have less, um, less reliable characteristics, I guess you could say. So that's maybe the one thing against Alonso. But once he got up to speed, boy, did he get up to speed. I mean, he didn't obviously have that, I mean, I say headline grabbing. Obviously, Ocon's win was the headline grabbing result for the Alpine, but the the podium in Qatar was pre headline grabbing. But um, Alonso's role 
in that win uh, in Hungary can cannot be underestimated. Um, in terms of Hamilton, I'd say, I mean, again, very fair argument. He also drove the skin off his car uh, this season. Maybe the fact that he had a couple of off races, like Monaco, where he came seventh and he was stuck behind Gasly and Vettel all day. Um, maybe the Austrian races where, admittedly, the Red Bull was in a league of its own, but Hamilton didn't exactly um, cover himself in glory, shall we say. Or maybe Azerbaijan, where he, he lost the win through his own mistake. Um, but again, at the same time, the man's 36. I mean, I can't think of the only other drivers I can think of who, that off the top of my head in the last couple of decades, who have still been performing at their peak at the age of 36 would be Alonso and probably Michael Schumacher towards the back end of his career. So for Hamilton to still be <clears throat> basically basically up against a man who is in the title fight, who is c- coming into his prime at 24, and Hamilton's 36, and you'd say... I mean, look at Raikkonen at 42. I mean, it will bless him. He's um, probably retired at the right time. But um, no no offence, Kimmy. Um, but Hamilton at 36 mm. still. And, and you'd back him to be that, that, at that level at 37. I could see him um, teaching George Russell a lesson next year, even though Hamilton might be 37. Um, so I think for the sheer, again, for the sheer level of uh, of quality of performance, Hamilton has to be a shout. And Alonso and Science, <clears throat> excuse me, have both had good seasons as well. And I think the most remarkable thing about the Hamilton and uh, Verstappen battle is you saw, I think, segments of the season where they were both in a league of their own, really. Like Verstappen, for example, between Monaco and Austria was literally in a league of his own, untouchable aside from tyre issues as we saw in Baku. And then you thought to yourself, well, if he's on that level, Hamilton's, you know, in a lowly second place, if you can call it that, in the championship. You know, he's he going to be able to turn on that again and to uh, reclaim his title or even make it a five? But as we saw towards the end, Hamilton had his own patch of where he was untouchable, looking all the way from Brazil, I'd argue, to Abu Dhabi as well, where he needed to turn it on, and indeed he did. You know, seeing how he came from, you know, last to top, and then also the extension that he was able to get himself in the Abu Dhabi race, not, you know, uh, disregarding the Qatari win as well, as well as Saudi Arabia. A lot of adversity in all sort of four of those races, I would argue, and he came out on top in pretty much all of them. So it's remarkable how they went into it pretty much level pegging, but we saw both of those drivers pull out advantages over each other. And when you consider how good he, how good the drivers were on an average day, how good that other driver had to be to pull an extension on them, if that makes sense. You know, it really was a battle for the top and the levels they were reaching to beat each other was really remarkable. So um, I think they're both, but they're both uh, uh, clear and deserved winners for best drivers, but um, I'm still rooting for the two Spaniards personally. Um, Obviously we should like, wrap eventually on this best drivers thing but I know we were talking just before uh, me, uh, Tom and we both briefly mentioned Pierre Gasly as well um, and I know we've kind of covered a lot but um, mm. I would say you know absolute shout out to him He's he's been absolutely fantastic out qualified Sonoda 21 to 1 um, <laughs> 21 to 1 you know he's, he's he <laughs> interestingly well, you know, looking at qualifying quickly qualified on the front row kind of uh, um, at once and also he's had 17 top 10 starts but the one fact that I noted down when I was sort of prepping for this was that he scored 110 points this year and obviously this has been a crazy season you can't compare but if you look to 2020 we all know that I'm a massive Alex Albon fan Alex Albon mm-hmm. scored 105 in a Red Bull last last time and and uh, Pierre has scored 110 
in an AlphaTauri. You know, he has had an absolutely fantastic year and I think it's definitely worth shouting out. But, you know, when making my decision, I did err towards Hamilton because of what he's achieved. But you know what? We need to all keep our eye on Pierre Gasly because he's such a star. I think the other thing is, uh, I kind of wanted to shout out Perez as well. Um, but I, the reason I didn't go for Perez and went for Sainz instead was my judgment on Perez, I think, it gets greatly uh, clouded by the last few races and his importance in, in giving Max Verstappen the chance to take the world championship, which I think is how what led me to actually the best team and my best team, which was Red Bull. And I know you think, well, obviously, a bit like Max Verstappen, Red Bull, but although it's self-explanatory, the, the numbers are, are quite impressive in themselves. I mean, Red Bull had a total of 23 podiums between um, their two drivers and the World Championship winning car. No, though, they didn't get the uh, constructors. That does go to Mercedes. But one of the things that really shone um, this year is Red Bull's ability to, to select a decent strategy and set up their, their drivers for success. Uh, for, for example, the US Grand Prix was supposed to be a track that favoured Mercedes, but because Red Bull decided to pit Verstappen for new tyres early and play to his aggressive driving style, they actually prevented Mercedes from doing the undercut and ended up putting Verstappen in a place where he could eventually go on to take take victory there uh, and their strategy calls have been brilliant throughout the season and they've also utilized both their drivers in a way that I don't think Mercedes necessarily have in fact I think the biggest argument against Mercedes taking the best team this year is Mercedes they seem to have very much forgotten Bottas Bottas hasn't really done much for them and they've you know they had he had a lot of bad luck because of the team for example you know pit stop dramas and stuff like that but Red Bull had the fastest pit stops Perez and Verstappen worked brilliantly together in fact Max himself called Perez a legend let's not forget that so I, I do think that they were probably the best team everything was working nicely in a way that we haven't seen for a very long time so Perez Verstappen plus good pit stops good strategy it was really the whole package this year the only thing they missed out on was the world constructors championship but I think that isn't going to diminish them too much. On that, um, I feel like it's quite a nice way for me to jump in, if you don't mind. I know I spoke previously. Um, but I wrote down Mercedes for mine, so I feel like this is quite a nice segment away from <laughs> what you just said. Is Yes, they did with the Constructors' Championship. Um, I barely wrote a single thing down for my answer for this. I said... Team champions by 28 points. <laughs> um, and obviously 28 <laughs> isn't massive compared to what we've seen before, but, you know, they did it. And I think it's worth noting that throughout this year, they're with the challenge of, of Max for the for the driver's title, there was so much going on. This was one of the most insane years for both sets of constructors we both described, but also all of them throughout the paddock. And Mercedes maintained their strong 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 position as as their as the teams that they are like it's when you think back what well, their eighth title now like that's outstanding it's incredible and you know they've done it again and whilst they were fighting an absolute mammoth battle with max and lewis and i think for me the reason they they won is obviously that they're, they're very very skilled talented dedicated people but so are red bull i think that the way they managed um the team just worked really well and i think obviously just like in red bull Perez was second driver. They clearly had Bottas as a second driver, but I really think that Bottas's 
teamwork helps so much. And I know, you know, we know Perez's teamwork work very well as well. We saw it in that final race. But the team together, they've had so long together. They've had so long as a pairing and the team have had so long with those two drivers. It just all came together so well. They know each other so well. And there's an understanding between them. And it just, I think when so much focus was on the the drivers, they needed to be smooth. They needed to be effortless, get on with it as teams, as a team. And they did. They did really, really well this year. So I don't really have any other argument except they were team champions and they were the best team this year by stats. I just think on the from the stats though, there were just little moments throughout the season that kind of indicated that things weren't right. For example, mm. do you remember when uh, in the Dutch Grand Prix, Bottas was told don't go for the fastest lap, and yeah, he kind of did it anyway just to do a little dig at James. And, <laughs> and when uh, Bottas got on the podium and Toto Wolff decided not to go out and clap, you know, there were, yeah. there were little yeah. things throughout the season that have, have indicated actually their total dominance, Liv, I cannot argue against you there. They have been supremely dominant. But I just don't think they were the best team. You know, it's, it's there's no I in team. And it felt like they were just, they didn't have that friendly vibe that, that you know, other teams have had. And I felt like they were a little bit, a little pulling apart a bit. I don't know. And, and I would just add to that as well, that um, as you say, Liv, Mercedes as a sort of Bottas and Hamilton pairing have been together for so long. And when you compare that to the freshness of the Verstappen and Perez duo, if I were to walk in and watch this entire Formula 1 season with no context or knowledge about which teams have been put together, where and when, I would probably argue that uh, Perez and Verstappen were the older teammates, i.e. they've been together longer than Bottas and Hamilton. Because in many scenarios... Bottas was kind of an, an afterthought, really, in the Mercedes strategy. It was very much a sort of, ah, yes, Hamilton will get the win, and we've got Bottas. Um, let's go and park him in front of uh, Verstappen and hope he can go and stop him. Like, for example, being Sochi, where he was essentially demoted all the way back to just in front of uh, Verstappen, used very much as a rolling roadblock. And when he struggled getting through traffic, you had Toto on the uh, Toto Wolf on the uh, radio saying, oh, come on, Valtteri, get past these cars. Well, come on, Valtteri, hold him up. And, oh, Valtteri, can you go and do this for us? But you never really, at least publicly, heard it from the, uh, the Red Bull garage. In fact, you know, you saw Perez being referred to as a legend, as you say and although Perez had a very slow start as an individual driver he very much did play the team game and come into his own at the latter stages where it was needed most really because Hamilton was in his purple patch and uh, on fire I'd argue as I said from Brazil to Abu Dhabi so in that regard I'd say that Perez was more of an he was better included into the strategy of Red Bull than Bottas was in Mercedes, Mercedes strategy so in that regard, I'd say that um, Red Bull seemed a lot more together and unified. And I think that's sort of summarised more by the fact that Valtteri is being, you know, kicked out, shall we say, from Alfa Romeo because, I don't know, they don't deem him as being ne a necessary requirement anymore. So I would argue that one team that's been equally consistent as Red Bull would be the, the uh, Ferrari gang. So looking at how they've scored this season consistency is the key with them they've always been a place or two places between their two drivers with one or two exceptions and when you consider going into this season Ferrari weren't really in a good place they had a very poor 2020 season arguably one of the worst in sort of recent history one would argue definitely in the 21st century um, but when you see that they're probably not the third fastest car I'd argue in sort of raw speed I'd say that McLaren probably had the better outfits 
The fact that they were able to claw that third place towards them and ultimately win it is a testament to how consistent, uh, how consistent that both the drivers were. Like looking at the end of the season, it was uh, fifth and sixth, fifth and sixth, eighth and seventh, seventh and sixth. You know, there was all the cogs pulling in the right direction. It wasn't Team Leclerc, it wasn't Team Signs, it was Team Ferrari, if that makes sense, and both drivers pulling in that direction. We saw with someone like Alpha Tauri, for example, it was Team Gasly, i.e. he was getting most points, and arguably there's a case to be made that it was Team Hamilton as well with Mercedes, where he was getting uh, the wins or the second places or occasionally the thirds, and then Bottas would occasionally chip in with a few points, you know, enough to win the constructors, but not really uh, on fire, shall we say. And when we consider that this Ferrari team wasn't taken all too seriously at the start you know there's one or two times that both of them didn't even score points an example being France and then they're able to pull it back I think is a real testament to them and you know going into the next season when you've got this consistency you've got everyone seemingly quite happy with how things are set up in terms of uh, there's no hierarchy there doesn't seem to be a one driver and a two driver it's whoever's in front uh, or whoever's in front and doing better will aid them as best we can and that was a problem that Ferrari had season prior is very much trying to juggle I'd argue the egos of Leclerc and, and Vettel but Ferrari of this season just quietly got about their business picking up points both drivers uh, in pretty much every race and for that reason I've got to say they're probably my, my team of the year so these are some good arguments for the best team of the year if I could address those first so the, the Mercedes Red Bull one you the irony that was mentioned, of course, about Red Bull being arguably the best team, because for once, for probably the first time since Ricardo left, they have focused on it not being as much Team Max, but accepting the second driver. Albon and Gasly were never really accepted. Um, but Perez, you feel, has been accepted. Maybe because, I don't know whether, because Red Bull finally thought, right, we have a Grand Prix winner on our on our books now we have a 10-year formula one veteran as opposed to someone we're trying to blood so a lot of the processes they maybe would have to go through with albon and gasly they wouldn't have to go through with perez and possibly for for doing that they could have an argument as the best team um mercedes obviously constructors championship um constructors champions but at the same time like was mentioned the, the sort of the the neglect of bottas at times um and the sort of there wasn't as much team harmony perhaps as there seemed as there had been in the past, even despite Hamilton calling Bottas the best teammate he'd ever had, and that's that's a fair argument because Bottas was a great teammate, great team player. Didn't seem as harmonious um, this year, and Ferrari as well. I have to agree they've really got their act together this year. Um, it wasn't as much of a a carnage fest um, in terms of strategy, for example. <laughs> they were much more um, much more on on point with that, other than maybe in Turkey when. Uh, Leclerc was was it Leclerc was leading on on um, on the inters and he's trying to hold off Bottas and he asked um, how cl- how quickly will Bottas close the gap and this engineer responded if, <laughs> if, if we if we stand in front of Bottas we win the race <laughs> it's like <laughs> rocket science but yeah I think I think those are all good arguments for team of the year but I'm going to go with a slightly left field shout um, and you may think oh why has he picked this one but he must have had the the last choice or something but I actually picked the teams first that I wanted to wanted to uh, uh, root for in terms of this best um, best uh, teams and best drivers. I've gone with Williams because for me, the improvement... Mm. Uh, I can hear the, the mutters amongst the, uh, amongst, <laughs> amongst the, uh, the, the remote rooms. Um, so I'd say Williams <laughs> simply because... I mean, the expectations were higher for them this year, admittedly. 2019, absolute dog of a car. 
2020, a slightly more fierce dog. You know, it was, but but not, re- <laughs> but not, not, not really causing too many frights. This is this, this, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is Williams. It was again nothing too frightful, but there were there were times where, and we know what George Russell can do in terms of his his Mister Saturday and his qualifying speed. But Nicholas Latifi as well stepped it up this year, and I think the fact that those two could step it up to the level that they could showed that there was improvements in the car definitely. Um, Noticeably, it was a much more competent wet weather car, as we saw at Spa with Russell's with Russell's qualifying lap. But lest we forget, Latifi, I think, was a Q3 candidate, was in Q3 at that race. Um, not only did they score uh, points at Belgium, they scored points, double points at uh, Hungary in that carnage race where Latifi and Russell stayed calm, got their way through the field. Um, Russell also got some points in Italy. And the fact they were able to have those opportunities for points, but take advantage of them as well, um, was something which was great to see for Williams. And I think they just seem like a, a general harmony in that team. You see the direction the team's going. You feel like they have more of a plan for next year. If you were to, I mean, the, the bottom three teams, Williams, Alfa Romeo and Haas, quite far off the field this year still. But if you were to look at those three and think which you have most faith in next year, whilst they've lost Russell, their greatest asset, arguably, you wouldn't bet against them producing a decent enough car next year for Latifi and Albon to be challenging for points on a regular basis because you can see now they've got the fun. I feel like the part of the reason for me why they're the best team is because the, the decisions they're making maybe are have, feel like they've got more of a strategy. Like the investment from Derilson Capital, the the new um, the new ownership they've got, so bringing in Jost Capito, who, for those of you who don't know, he was the team principal, I think, of the VW uh, World Rally Championship team, who won like five or six uh, titles in a row. And he has experience in, LMP, in LMP1, I think, as well with Porsche. Um, so he's a very experienced motorsports operator, knows his stuff, less Formula 1 experience, but knows how to run a racing team, knows how to run an operation like that. Uh, so bringing him in was also a very wise move. Um, and also just, I, th- I think just, there seems a great harmony amongst the team. They know they're on the up. Um, and it just, and also the results started to come this year. I mean, finishing eighth in the constructors championship was probably the best they could hope for, but two in the end, they didn't really have, once they got those big points finishes under their belt, they didn't have too much of a fear from Alfa Romeo. Definitely no fear at all from Haas, uh, n- no chance of Haas beating them this year. Um, I think it says something in that. And if you look at the standings at the end of the season, it is marginal, but Aston Martin in seventh actually finished closer to Williams in eighth than they did to Alpha Tauri in sixth, if you look at the points. So for Williams to be through mainly Russell, but also Latifi, competing for those, we look mostly in qualifying, going for those Q2 and Q3 spots, competing against the likes of Aston Martin and Alpha Tauri, and occasionally Alpine on a more regular basis. Um, I think the progress that they've shown really is the main reason why I've gone for them as team of the year. They didn't have the the spellbinding, uh, world-beating results that other teams had, but I just think the progress they've shown. You could you could argue I'm saying they had they started off rock bottom, so they of course they couldn't get any worse, but they got better. It can't be denied, and I think they just the harmony, the way the team's going. I'm not saying they're going to be title contenders next year, but you can see a pattern, you can see a strategy that's there. Um, and they, they just seem to be doing more of the right things, uh, Williams. So for me, that's why they'd be team of the year. Nicholas Latifi would probably agree with you there. In the, I don't know if you saw the, the predictions back in 2020 about the 2021 season. Nicholas Latifi wrote down uh, 
Williams will get a point. So clearly they smashed <laughs> that one out of the park. No, so that's where they probably thought they were. Um, but yeah, definitely contenders of, I'd say most improved though. Um, mm. And I just, I wonder, you know, what any of your thoughts are whether or not you think Williams has just been held up a little bit thanks to George Russell's brilliance. I know, Liv, you're a big fan of Russell. What's your thoughts on that? I'm a big fan of Russell and Latifi, to be honest. Like, I love I love Williams. Mm-hmm. I think Angus, you know, they were, I wouldn't quite say I almost picked them because I, I, I had to pick Mercedes. But for me, Williams, I always have a soft spot for Williams, just like we do for McLaren. But I think they have had an outstanding year. I couldn't quite claim them as having the best, but my God, they've they've had an incredible year. And I think, for me, George has carried the team in the sense that I don't think Nicholas hasn't contributed. But I think without George's this this drive, this determination, he's mm. inspired the team to perform mm. better. And along with him, Nicholas. And I think that I don't think I think Nicholas would have had a fantastic year without George, like just as as he had. But I think just together them as a pair, with the team being inspired, with George's success, I think that they've really this year in particular pushed the team together. And I think it's been perfect actually because. Nicholas has been the number two for a little while but next year obviously George moves on and I'm not saying that Alex is going to be number two and Nicholas will suddenly be number one because obviously Alex has got some great experience but Nicholas now is the is the driver now that knows the team the best that understands mm. that, that you know he's he's put himself into a nice leadership position here and I think that's a natural flow of this team for Nicholas to now have more of a role and I'm I'm really excited to see where it goes but looking at this year you asked if I agree I, I absolutely do I think that Having personally, I think having the knowledge of his Mercedes drive has made George just insane. Like some of the, in a good way, but some of the things that he's achieved, you wouldn't think were possible. And I, I think that mm. although Williams have done a good job of providing them with a decent car at times this year, it has also let them down on a number of occasions. George is fire, and there's just something in him that has pushed them further than I think they would have done without him. So a hundred percent, I agree that he's a massive factor. Um, and obviously, we didn't quite mention him as like our best driver, but you know, he he certainly is up there and I wouldn't be surprised if he was rated as our best driver in a, in a future episode in the, in the next year or the year after. Um, mm. But for me, Williams have had an outstanding year. And if you, if you look at them compared to the teams that we love, for example, McLaren, I would actually argue that compared to what we were expecting from them, Williams have had a better year than McLaren have, you know, people, Williams mm. have had a very strong year. And I think um, I 100% agree with your choice, to be honest. Um, I, I wouldn't put them as the best, but yeah, fantastic. Well done to them, the whole team. <laughs> Can't wait to see what Williams and Russell do next year. Yeah. They'll have an, I just think they'll always yes, have a nice yes. relationship. Like in the, um, I watched the uh like off grid they do like a like mclaren unbo- unboxed williams do one of those and the all the team when they're saying, saying goodbye said george every time you're on that podium we're going to run down there and, and cheer for you because they are they they're mo- the most family team i, I can pick i can think of you know oh, yeah. i know mclaren are tight as well and they're very tight with the fan base but williams they are people who truly love what they're doing and are so passionate and care for each other so much and i think um they've blossomed definitely this year mm. 
Yeah, definitely. I'd say Williams have had a very good season. Uh, this one, you know, look at Hungary, the Belgian points there. They got, you know, the rain helped, sure. But yes, to get those points was excellent. Italy and the Russia as well. Well done to, to Mr. Russell there for getting so many points. And Latifi for also stepping it up. Um, I wouldn't say they're the best team, however, because I think in many regards, they got up to those great standards. They show they could get beyond what they previously did. But then they sort of lulled back down again to being quite, I don't know, passive and unable to really really be seriously scoring points or looking like they were going to be in qualifying and in racing so I think really the the key for Williams next year is consistency they should they can do it but they need to do it in a more consistent basis to um, get further up the constructors I would add but I am slightly concerned I'll keep this short but I'm slightly concerned by the departure of George Russell I'm not saying that uh, Latifi can't go on and score points again as he has done this season but there's no doubt he's been George Russell, that is, a huge part of their success this season. And they've been rowing in the right direction. It's all come good, but taking a, such a big cog out of that machine and replacing him with Alex Albon, a man who's a very competent driver, but someone who has been out of uh, Formula 1 in the traditional sense for a year, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Williams lull down again into, you know, a team that occasionally scores points and um, does well in a few races, but doesn't go on and doesn't score consistent points like others do. So um, I don't expect Williams to set the world alight next year, but um, I think if they can carry on in a, the same spirit they've done this season to the next, with maybe one or two more points than uh, than this season, I think that would be good. But um, plaudits to them, really, because at the start of the season, no one thought, I, I think, really, that uh, they could have got ninth or even eighth and have such a sizable gap to Alpha Romeo and indeed to Haas. So plaudits there, but... Um, I think, you know, it's a good start, but there's work still to be done, I'd say. And so ends episode 36 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much, dear listener, even though the season's ended, for listening to this episode and listening to part one of our sort of review of this season and indeed awards to the drivers who have done the very best. Such a range there of teams, of drivers, from those who are at the very top of the uh, league tables to those who are in the middle and to the uh, sort of lower end I guess but all who have made excellent contributions to the season and done very well although next episode we're looking down at the worst drivers and worst teams same sort of procedure and protocols as last time we all pick one driver and one team and think oh they've not done very well because x y and z should out as well that is of course coming out in 2022 this is our final episode of 2021 and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode and uh, episodes prior if you have done and we look forward to uh, getting your views and your thoughts on what we've spoken about in terms of this episode but also your feedback and your thoughts in terms of the drivers we pick next episode and the episode after that and indeed and what we think of the races to come in 2022 but until next time thank you very much for listening for all these episodes in 2021 have a good new year and um we'll catch you in a bit happy new year happy new year Happy <laughs> i'm definitely going to be saying 2021 so many times next year there we go <laughs> and also when we start when we do the next episode you, we need to say something about how we haven't done it since last year <laughs> i was literally gonna say <laughs> that we haven't done an episode since last year guys i haven't spoken to you since last year <laughs> you haven't tuned in for an entire year but we're still <laughs> <laughs>